What separates a good anime from a great anime? Why do some animes stick with us long after we've watched it? Welcome to The Workshop. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And in this podcast, we discuss and deconstruct storytelling elements in some of our favorite animes. Today in The Workshop, we will be discussing the 2016 romance fantasy film, Your Name, aka Kimi no Nawa. It's happening, guys. We're doing it. <laughs> this film was written and directed by Makoto Shinkai and was a major commercial success domestically in Japan as well as globally, receiving critical acclaim for its animation, writing, and soundtrack. It also became the highest grossing anime film of all time, <laughs> surpassing Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away, which had held the spot previously for 15 years. So here's the summary. Mitsuha and Taki are two very different people. Mitsuha is a high school student, a girl living in a small rural town, while Taki is a high school boy living in Tokyo. One day, they start mysteriously switching bodies, and they have to adapt to one another's lifestyles while continuing to communicate with one another through phone memos. The story revolves around their lives in relation to a comet that's expected to pass Earth during the mid-autumn festival. You know, my heart was beating so fast <laughs> while we were doing that intro. I think because I was trying to keep it together. Because right the intro is like the only part that we script. Yeah. Like we fully write out a script. And so like my heart was like, today in the workshop. <laughs> Anyways, why don't, why don't we kick off the overall impressions? Yes. Okay. Yes. So. Deep breaths. I'm going to start. Yes. I'm Go about to it. explain to everybody right now why this is my favorite movie of all time yeah spoiler alert spoiler oh yeah alert. i forgot to give a spoiler <laughs> alert but you know i think it's implied mm -hmm. so i don't know if the listeners know anything about makoto shinkai's history but right. he's known for being actually he's not very known for being a very good writer director artist blah 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 so i think that this uh, your name was very much a product of a lot of trial and error development. Mm, now, right. one of the other works that he's so very well known for is Garden of Words. I don't know if you've ever watched it or at least heard I of it. See, I've heard of it and I have seen portions of it. Okay. So Garden of Words is hailed for being a very, very beautiful film, but mm -hmm. the writing for it is a little bit lackluster in that right. it's very much just about the atmosphere and it's just very heartwarming to see um, a writer and artist and director who is just like the product of somebody who has been just evolving and um, yes, continuously yeah. trying to learn from his old mistakes to create something that is very beautiful. And so I think mm. the idea of um, the idea of your name coming from this creator who is just as imperfect as anybody else uh, really mm -hmm. speaks to me. So that's that's kind of the first thing. So your yeah. name is very much a um, a representation of how Shinkai respects and appreciates just the just beauty in general. One of the um, most key moments in this movie for me 
was actually right at the very beginning. I really like the beginning of this movie. <laughs> so do I, yes. Because it starts off with this beautiful shot of the comet that this entire mm-hmm. movie revolves around traveling across the sky. And the the line that accompanies that scene is, nothing more than a beautiful view. And I think that sometimes we get very caught, especially us, <laughs> like we get very <laughs> caught up in like, what does this mean? What is yes. the significance of that? What could this yes. be trying to imply? What are the undertones? But sometimes I think that you, it's okay to like something just because it evokes some sort of vague abstract emotion in you. And I really do think that Shinkai and his work embodies that a lot. And then yes, another yeah. thing that like stands out to me from this movie is just how animators and Shinkai in particular is able to bring beauty into or bring the mundane into such a romanticized and beautiful life. And I know romanticization yeah. in modern society is mm-hmm. often considered like a pretty bad thing, but mm-hmm. I think that the beauty of animation because you see all of these like posts well I do at least posts online that mirror or show how animation mirrors real life it's just a very you know it's a side-by-side comparison and you just see that it's like um an exact copy paste like it's very very photorealistic why does that resonate with so many people Mm. um but I think that Shinkai touches on this beauty of everyday life that we often don't extract from it as you live out everyday life just because you're so used to it um Mm -hmm. so he really it's that like that transformation of the waiting and the mundane into something that's very beautiful and I think that helps a lot of people just like self-reflect and appreciate life that much more so that Mm. is my (laughs) (laughs) that is your I love you, Miss Makoto Shinkai. <laughs> that is my praise <laughs> that I'm just like spilling yeah. out of me for Shinkai. I like that you brought up that idea of there's just something about seeing everyday life very, um, I don't want to say hyper-realistic, but I guess a little bit um, just like animated with so much detail when you're watching animated movies. There's a certain magic to seeing Mm -hmm. um, very normal things animated so beautifully in a movie. Um, Because I think when it's animated, there's just this like, there's this whimsy to it. There's this certain sheen that you don't really get to see when you're, um, when you're living through it, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, Yeah. Makoto Shinkai (laughs) is, wow. I could really talk about this man for like we could do a whole pod just about Makoto Shinkai Mm -hmm. I think I really like that you brought up his other work because one of the things that I always talk about with my brother because my brother is a little bit more familiar with Shinkai Mm -hmm. and there's something that my brother told me once that I think it was after we watched Weathering with you um where he was like it feels like if you've watched um if you watch Shinkai's work up until Kimonawa it almost feels like watching um a writer workshop the same short story yes. over and over yes. until he's finally got it to a place where it's almost perfect 
Mm-hmm. And I know that Shinkai has specifically said about this film that he, <laughs> he, he doesn't it. think it's perfect. The guy hates He's like, it. yeah, it's guys, it's like nowhere near where it should guys have been. Guys, don't watch but it. But you know what? I don't know the version that was in his head. I only know the version that he gave mm-hmm. us. And the version that he gave us really changed something in me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, so that's one thing that I find really interesting about Shinkai is because it's almost like he's tweaking the same vibe until finally it was, you know, he created Kimi no Nawa and it's this like near masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And and another thing that I love about Shinkai, I think he's one of those writers where I feel like I enjoy and appreciate his work so much on this like very profound level. And I think this might very much be because as a writer personally, I have also tried to explore very similar types of stories. Right. And when this movie came out, especially 2016-ish, 2017, um, you know, I was at this, I was starting university and I was really trying to find my own place as a writer and my own style. And these types of stories, this same vibe was something that I was also trying to explore over and over again in my writing, but I was never happy with it. And I remember when I watched Kim No Now, I was like, this is a writer who has like perfected the vibe. Capital T, capital V, the vibe. (laughs) And so- I think there's just something about it that, like, I guess I'm just very partial to this kind of vibe, nuanced, like, <laughs> vibe, treading the line kind of mm-hmm. storytelling mm-hmm. with, like, romances that are just barely there and stories that really focus on what our purpose is in the world, with themes of coming of age. Um, mm-hmm. And I also really like that he is writing these very melancholic stories that yeah. always lean more sincere than cynical mm-hmm. because I think that in recent years like cynicism very much prevails our media mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. I really like stories that that aren't afraid to show that being sincere being vulnerable is is kind of beautiful and kind of the way that we should be living our lives maybe I'm just a romantic <laughs> I don't know I think we all um, are we all yeah. are a little bit romantic, no matter how much we try to not come across that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree, yeah. <laughs> Something that we actually sometimes talk about, Chris and I, is just how hard writing is. <laughs> like, we literally oh always Oh my god, say... yeah. Writing is so difficult. <laughs> Guys, it's so like, difficult. Like, it's a running joke. It's not even a joke. It's a running joke where we're like, oh, yeah, I just wrote something the other day and I kind of want to show you. But also now that I'm reading it again, I hate it. It's absolute trash. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the like one of the greatest lessons that I think that I've learned as a quote unquote writer is that, Mm -hmm. you know, you cannot be afraid to write something, write an entire draft delete all of it because it's bad yeah (laughs) and then do it again like yeah I think that I Mm -hmm. personally really have it like I have a contempt for wasting time and I hate doing something just Mm -hmm. to find that my labor there there's no Mm -hmm. fruit to my labor but so learning this lesson of it's okay to draft something and completely rework it afterwards has really been a a hard lesson to learn, but I think it's mm-hmm. important just for anything in life as well. But going back to just what you were talking about, about the sincerity of it. And I think I, I really like how this movie has just great 
thematic cohesiveness because I think that sometimes mm-hmm. works can try to incorporate too much into what they're trying to say and do with what um, they have. But I mm-hmm. think that Kimi no Nawa, they're like they're they're very realistic in how they depict um, everyday life, which I was talking about earlier, like the beauty of everyday life. But at the same mm-hmm. time, working magic into it, and I really like how you use that word. Like it, it does come across as very magical. Yeah, um, I like how they how he explores themes of dreams and memory. I'm a really big softie for nostalgia because I oh I, yeah. yeah, like I think that's the vibe. <laughs> that's the vibe. Um, and then also just like the human tendency towards the spiritual realm. Yeah, like talking mm-hmm. about time as like um, and how it weaves through different people's lives and how mm-hmm. we can overcome something that seems so impossible to overcome which is time or mm-hmm. um you know it's always very optimistic and hopeful in that regard um how they explore themes of twilight and how it's like the divide uh the divide between the real world and then the magical world or like the yeah. spiritual and it's by no means a small production but it somehow still gives off vibes of being very personable and very close to the heart. And I think that's why, even though it's it like basically struck gold at the box office and like how um, so many people know about this title and so many people love it, but I still feel like as it as somebody who has your name as like their favorite movie I still feel like it it can be something that is very close to me and very personal Mm, still even though it's shared by so lovingly by such a wide audience yeah and I also think I don't agree with the sentiment that a lot of people have towards popular works Mm -hmm. where it's like because something is popular they don't like it mm-hmm. or it makes them like something less and I have literally honestly never I've felt done that, that way I've done that about <laughs> anything in my life I just don't agree with it I think mm-hmm. that like something is popular for a reason because yeah there's something about it that's culturally relevant that, that where the themes are universal I think that there are definitely um, valid reasons why some people might not connect with this movie on the same level and like mm-hmm. that's totally right. fine I don't know I there are a lot of things in my life I like um, even though they're popular, I found them because they're popular. And I have no shame in that. Um, this girl I, loves Naruto. <laughs> my favorite anime ever is Naruto. Yes, roast me. Roast me. Send me a tweet and roast me. I don't, I yeah, literally yeah. don't care. <laughs> I think that, you know, sometimes the best way I can describe this film sometimes, it's like a one hour and 40 minute <laughs> exploration of this idea yeah. <laughs> of like dreams and reality uh-huh. and how they go hand in hand. And I think it really encapsulates that feeling, like that feeling between consciousness and sleep yeah. where you're like trying to cling to a dream that you just had, mm-hmm. but you're like forgetting it as you wake up. Like I feel like that's literally the vibe of the mm-hmm. whole film. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that it weaves in and out of its genres is executed so well because it, yeah. you start off and it's it's a teen romance but then it's just also kind of a slice of life mm-hmm. but then there's these like there's this undercurrent of like supernatural and surrealist elements I know I think it's technically classified as a fantasy but mm-hmm. I would say it's a little bit more surrealist because mm-hmm. it's just I agree barely fantastical and I think it really takes advantage of animation as a medium to to do that um and in terms of beauty, 
I like that you brought up that the movie is, it is very beautiful and that it strives to just show appreciation for um, the beauty of nature, but also the beauty of like, I think there are these beautiful sweeping shots of Tokyo as well. So it's also like, you know, nature is beautiful and the rural countryside is beautiful, but also there is a certain, um, there's a certain grandeur and appreciation for um, city life as well. And so there's like a nice Mm -hmm. contrast there. And I think that there's this exploration of the beauty of nature, but also contrasted with the destructiveness of it. Mm -hmm. And the core aspect of the film is about natural disasters, which is such an integral part of Japanese culture. And I think Makoto Shinkai said that he was very much um, inspired to create this story because of um, I don't know if it was one of the earthquakes in Japan, but a significant natural disaster that happened in Japan. And it really shows how beautiful nature can be, even when it leaves catastrophe in its wake. And I think that sort of, there's this mix of being awestruck and enraptured, but in the next moment, absolutely devastated and destroyed. And I think that that's almost a per- perfect like parallel depiction of what being in love feels like when you're a teenager <laughs> like the and I think just the way that the supernatural elements of the story tie in so seamlessly with the human moments in the story is just amazing and sometimes I just think about it and I cry a little bit because <laughs> I love it so much this is just gonna be an hour of Chris and I being <laughs> teens again <laughs> yeah you know I'm just very I'm soft for like stories about teenagers I don't mm-hmm, know why because mm-hmm. like it's not like we've been out of our teen years for that long yeah it's probably been like what we always years? refer to ourselves <laughs> as adults in our podcasts but today we're just gonna be teens. okay in my defense in my defense I am so confused by people who were born even two years younger than me like I already they were born in 2000 lingo. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. There's just a lot of okay. So for one thing, this is so off topic. That's for okay. one thing, I don't use TikTok, and I don't mean that in a way that like, oh my god, if you I use don't TikTok, use TikTok, like, that's TikTok. so yeah. immature. <laughs> I just mean that I never downloaded it because I have no self control, and I don't need another social media app yeah. to distract me. So I never downloaded it. Um, but now there's this whole culture on TikTok that I just don't, I just don't yeah, understand. FOMO. <laughs> um. Anyways, that was so off topic. I'm so sorry. Okay, so we split up the entire movie into four acts just to uh, organize things a little bit better. So the first act is going to be all about what we think about the exposition as well as the introduction of each character. Now, I mentioned this earlier, and I just want to say again that this is my favorite Mm -hmm. part of the movie. So sometimes I'll just like leave it on um, while I'm like doing something else. The reason why this beginning is my favorite part to actually just leave on in the background is because it portrays the sounds and the images of the monotony of everyday life really mm. in a in a very like calming manner and i think that it um portrays a nice feeling of like isolation but not in a bad way more mm. like in a way where it's like 
here's the things that you kind of just have to do and have to get through while you're waiting for something in your life to change. So you see shots Mm. of, you know, Mm -hmm. the whole movie begins with shots of some of their rooms. You can really tell a lot about each of their characters from the items that you see in their rooms. So I don't know. I, I think those things give the movie a lot of like heart, a lot of character and personality and gives each of the mm-hmm. characters a lot of personality as well. So that's like my my first impression of <laughs> like the opening scenes. Yeah, I agree. I think that what makes the movie so atmospheric is having all those character details um, because I think that there is so much that you can learn about a character passively. And mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, just like all the little details are like, it's it's really um, efficient uh, character exposition, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really like about the opening, I think, is it's there's there's this key idea that's explored like right at the start of the movie and at the end, where you know Taki and Mitsuhara are giving their little narrations about how they're um, they're always they always feel like they're chasing something in their life and they don't quite know what it is, but there's this uh, yearning and this longing for something um, or for someone. To me, having that right at the beginning feels like it's almost a thesis statement for the film in the sense that um, I think that there's this something very universal about that Mm -hmm. internal quest for emotional fulfillment in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we don't quite know what it is, but I think everyone sort of feels like they're constantly grasping for something that's just out of reach or at least that was what was my takeaway from the film and I feel like you know the movie really opens with that idea right at the beginning and it kind of ends with that idea too and I think like there's just something about that that is very particularly resonant for me as well Mm -hmm. um I think when I watch this movie it just makes me feel very validated like it makes me (laughs) feel very about me (laughs) Is this movie okay. about me? Yeah, it makes me feel very understood on that yeah. on that very like um, deeply emotional level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like setting like starting the film with that vibe <laughs> is like it kind of sets the tone for the whole film. I do think that Shinkai in particular resonates with a lot of young viewers. The concerns and struggles and worries mm-hmm. that his character face are the exact same ones that a lot of modern young people have yeah. in real life. Mm-hmm. And what you said about always like on a quest to find fulfillment. Yeah. I think that at this stage in our lives, if we were to have like mm-hmm. a real talk here, um, yeah. we are looking for a lot of things. I can't say what you know, like folks in there middle ages are Mm. pursuing but I can say that Mm -hmm. I think young people and young adults at our age are looking for love they're looking for a job they're looking Mm. to for um a certainty about their future I think that 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 like idea of looking and searching and waiting is Mm. very it's like very real (laughs) yeah and I think that those kinds of things, like that's not to say that um, you know people who are uh, thirty or thirty-five and up aren't also you know yeah, searching for exactly. those things. But there's a certain um, it's a little bit different, I think, when you're a teenager and when you're in your twenties because you're experiencing all those things for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're looking for love probably for the first time. Mm-hmm. You're finding your first real job. Um, you're you know moving into your first real house or something yeah. like that, right? And 
I think that being in your 20s especially is this like weird time in your life where you you're in between like adulthood but you don't feel like you're really an adult yet. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think that Shinkai is just, especially in this film, is really good at distilling those feelings into like a certain, um, into any given scene and, and not making it feel too um, heavy handed. Yeah. And that's why he has a lot of imagery. It's very like fitting that he has a lot of imagery mm-hmm. of like a train station. Cause I, yeah, I, I do think that like the idea of, waiting for the train and mm-hmm. not having anything to do but fill your thoughts with whatever is yeah. like yeah. relevant in your life right now and then also because there's all of this uncertainty that comes with being young um, in a modern society there's a certain um, like comfort and like reconciliation of there being this idea of a red string of fate that is so prevalent throughout the story. And it's just like, yeah, like there's just a comfort in knowing that, oh, maybe there's, there is like a job destined for me. There is somebody who is destined for me. I'll get there someday, you know? There's this scene that happens towards the start of the film. I think it's like we, we kind of meet Mitsuha for the first time. And she, you know, we see her going about her daily life. And then right at the end, um, she's like, she's just finished, um, you know, doing her like shrine maiden thing with Mm -hmm. her sister. And she's walking down the steps of the shrine and she's with her little sister. And she's sort of looking out um, across her little town of Itomori. And she kind of, um, she screams into (laughs) the darkness, please make me a handsome Tokyo boy in my next life. And I was like, first of all, mood. Second of all, when Mitsuha screams that, she screams it under the arches of the shrine. There's something that like I really liked about this moment because it highlights her sort of naivety and her a little bit of her just like wacky personality and especially like the way that her little sister is like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) like "Mm, she's crazy. Um, But then there's also like that longing that she has for a more interesting life. and I think that sort of the imagery of that scene feels very um, purposeful and ethereal. Mm-hmm. And then the scene kind of pans up into the sky. And it's like, it's almost this idea. I think that there's this very central idea in this in the movie of like um, the like nature and the universe kind of ha- like being its own character in the story. Yeah, it just feels very ethereal in the way that the the atmosphere is built and in the way that the universe um, kind of always feels like it's listening to mm. the woes of the characters. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just. <sighs> just. <laughs> like, <laughs> I. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the sky. The sky. <laughs> She's beautiful. Which guy? We love her. Uh, the sky. <laughs> This guy is. Oh my god! There are a lot of scenes and moments that do revolve around the sky, and yeah. you know the comet and how mm-hmm. they're always the like twilight and the sunset. Yeah. How they're always looking upwards, and that is just the vibe. Of the movie. <laughs> like as you said there is there is such a hope and naivete Mm -hmm. and like optimism Mm -hmm. that comes from looking 
upwards at something or looking yeah. forwards to something for looking mm-hmm. to the future and looking f- up and seeking like almost like divine intervention or seeking yeah. something that's just greater than yourself that sense of unity and connection right despite yeah. geographical or even in this case temporal distance so yeah it's it's just very hopeful and encouraging and just about like that scene or any scene really related to Itomori in particular I really like something about living in a small town it seems very attractive to me from this movie because even though we we consistently see Mitsuha complaining and groaning about the place that she lives and how it's very boring Mm -hmm. you get Mm -hmm. these like iconic scenes of the beauty that surrounds her and you think to yourself like how can you get bored of this like how can you get tired of this I used to think the same thing like again we like you know we're from the suburbs the suburbs is a weird place because it's like (laughs) it's not a small town it's just like it's just like there (laughs) it's just like there um but it's also not the city so it's it's just like what are you even good (laughs) for boring um but I will say that, like, honestly, I went to school in a very small town. Mm-hmm. Um, I I went to school in Stratford, Ontario, um, home of Justin Bieber. Nice. And I, <laughs> and, um, I think that, like, while I was there, I, like, really hated <laughs> being there. But then I also would have these moments of, like, it's just so beautiful. Mm. And I think it's, like it's really interesting the way that we sort of um, romanticize these like narratives in our head. <laughs> it's that whole thing where it's like, you want yeah. what you can't have. <laughs> Before we move to act two, um, I also wanted to make a note that I think the VAs do a great <laughs> job of voicing their characters, but also voicing their characters when they're playing their other characters, if that makes wait, sense. Wait. Like. <laughs> Oh, so my God, sorry. I let me exactly say that again. What you mean. I get it. I <laughs> okay. Get it. Yes. Yeah. So I think they do a great job of voicing each other. Yes. So, like for example, when Taki is technically Mitsuha, or when Mitsuha is technically Taki, or like when Taki yeah. is in Mitsuha's body, <laughs> um, so we still confusing. hear Mitsuha's yes. voice, but it's Taki in her body, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's like there's just really great like moments of like um, Taki's like VA like taking on more like feminine mannerisms in his like speech and tone and voice and I think that really goes a long way in like um letting us know like who's um who is who right now Mm -hmm. and just kind of like I think there's a lot of um personality that comes out of their characters even when they're not in their respective Mm -hmm. bodies if that makes sense it's so cute Um, too like yeah it's really cute and the other thing I want to say about the intro is that even though the movie is only an hour and 40 minutes like that's not a lot of time But the romance, which is very central to the story, it doesn't happen right away. Like, it's not Mm insta-love. And I like that because, first of all, I just really don't like insta-love. Oh, my gosh. Because I call me a cynic, but I don't really believe in this love at first sight thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can be attracted to someone, like, physically. But, like, I think, like, 
the whole like falling in love thing. Like, I don't think that happens right away. And I really like that the movie sort of like has these montages that um, indicate like passing of time and sort of streamlining the plot to show us that they have been body switching for a while and that they're they're falling into each other's routines. Are you and I like trying that. to say that when I mm-hmm. see a character that I like on screen that I'm not <laughs> falling in love with him? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to tell you this. Emily, We're not in dumpster fire. Fictional yet. <laughs> characters aren't real. I don't know how to tell you that. Oh my gosh. And then the other thing, like Mitsuha getting like getting girls to have crush on Taki and then like vice versa is just so funny to me. Like the way that she just like really knows how to flirt with Okudera Senpai is just like it's there's a version of this film where Mitsuha falls in love with Okudera Senpai and I would watch that movie <laughs> this leads us into act two which is the bulk of the action and the body swapping and everything that mm-hmm. happens which as you said is so cute like mm-hmm. uh, so cute oh my god <laughs> are you okay the way that she like spends his money and he's all like oh my why god, are you yeah. spending my money and she's like well I yeah. worked for it yeah yeah <laughs> So the scene where Taki, as Mitsuha, visits the shrine with um, Mitsuha's little sister and her grandma. And I guess the scene um, is a bit more, I don't know, lore heavy, I guess. Like we're kind of going into (laughs) Mm -hmm. the more supernatural elements of the movie. And first of all, it's good that we're visiting the shrine at this point in the movie because this is sort of the setting for the climax. Um, Yeah. So it's kind of important to see it. And then I think that this scene very distinctly showcases this appreciation for the natural world and Mm -hmm. the very vague line of um, like spirituality and the strangeness of the universe Mm -hmm. and all its mysteries. And um, I just think it's portrayed in this scene so well, because otherwise, like if we were to return to the shrine and we never really took the time to dive into the spirituality of this of this location then the climax would just feel very random mm-hmm. and the payoff wouldn't be good mm-hmm. so setting the tone here is um is very great and i think that sort of a- ethereal mysterious tone um just works really really well for this scene and <laughs> sorry <laughs> i really okay sorry i just have to talk about this really quick the transition between this scene and the next scene is I really like it because basically Taki um, kind of has this like Taki as Mitsuha kind of has this moment um, at the shrine. And then there's this transition where they go back into their respective bodies and Taki wakes up back in his body, back in his room, and he's crying. And I think that this, (laughs) hang on, I have to collect myself for a second. This whole pod, like... This whole pod is the dumpster fire. (laughs) I'm so sorry. So Taki wakes up crying, and I think that this that transition is so... It almost is jarring, and it leaves the viewer very surprised. And he wakes up, and he realizes that Mitsuha, when she was in his body, had actually set up a date for him Mm -hmm. with Okudera Senpai, Mm -hmm. who is his co-worker that he has a crush on. Mm And in this scene, he wakes up, he realizes he has to rush to this date, and then we cut to Mitsuha back in her own body, and she also wakes up crying. Mm -hmm. And the (laughs) music that is specifically playing in this scene is is Mitsuha's theme off of of the OST. The song is called Mitsuha's 
theme or theme of Mitsuhara, something yeah. like that. And it's this really um, hopeful, bittersweet, like melancholic mm-hmm. piano track. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Mitsuha's theme is playing during this scene where um, Taki is rushing to his date with Okudera-senpai, there's a lot of layers there mm-hmm. because Mitsuha's crying and she's like, I don't know why I'm crying. And she says this line of like, oh, I'm, I think I'm sad because I wanted to go on the date mm-hmm. with Okudera Senpai. But then the fact that um her her song is playing during the date between Taki and Okudera almost has this like feeling of like um Mitsuha is kind of there on the date with them in spirit mm. type thing. I think the sadness of that song contrasted with Taki going on this date is yeah, it's just like that barely there touch of romance. Like we're finally taking a step. Um, towards the romantic themes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was like my little <laughs> rant about why I, I love that sequence. I love this part because mm. just like sometimes I feel like you wake up and there's this feeling of like, just as you said, like melancholy. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's very inexplicable. So you yeah. come up with like reasons for yourself, like yeah. why you're yeah. feeling a particular way. Like, <laughs> And then when you watch that scene, you ask yourself, is she crying because she's sad? Is she crying because she's happy? Um, And then even herself, like she tells herself this thing, this not lie, but she tells herself this justification. And Mm -hmm. you as an audience know that (laughs) that is not the reason why. Or I'm just going to use another scene as an example she uh-huh. um the the next day after this scene she cuts her hair off mm-hmm. it reminds me of this <laughs> one scene in howl's moving castle where mm-hmm. which is also one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time and there's a scene where the wicked witch of the west uh sorry of the wastes tells sophie you're in love aren't you i can tell because mm-hmm. you're like you're take you're you're like you've been sighing all day and that's kind of right. like the feeling that you get from her from Mitsuha after yeah um, Taki mm-hmm. and Okudera goes on this date and she cuts off all yeah. of her hair and when Tessie sees it he's like oh did she like go through a break <laughs> I honestly I think it's so realistic sometimes that like we like you said like we try to find excuses for like mm-hmm. you know why we're feeling glum and like sometimes we do wake up and we don't really know um why something is affecting us in a certain way it, it's just like an encouragement to be i think more honest with yourself so the body switching stops and taki kind of realizes that okay i'm gonna go find her like physically i also think that it's just great mystery writing mm-hmm. that I think up until the body switching stops, um, Mitsuha is like the only one really talking about the comet because at this point, the audience still thinks that we're they're in the same timeline, right? Right. So after the body switching stops, um, Taki starts, um, like he said, he starts wondering. He starts um, sort of sketching the mountains and yeah. the pictures that he saw of Itamori in the museum. And this is a great montage. Um, also with the use of the music in this moment, um, there's a bit of a tonal shift here in the film because it's a little bit more solemn mm-hmm. and you start kind of feeling like there's something that's not quite right. And as an audience, we don't quite know what that is because now we're only with Taki at this point. Yeah. And again, I just think it's great mystery writing the way that we're able to kind of shift the tone from this like 
lighthearted date into like wait there's something wrong here Mm -hmm. and I also I also wrote a note in my notes I was like how can these kids afford to take the Shinkansen (laughs) across the country like do you know how expensive these bullet trains are yeah yeah the bullet trains are expensive (laughs) so I was like I wish anyways um yeah it's a great let's do that (laughs) it's a great sequence Chris you and I bet let's go up to a like Barry or something <laughs> we don't have bullet trains in canada we only have the we'll take and that the polar bear not the same thing we'll take a polar bear yeah we have polar bears if you guys didn't know in case you don't live in canada um, that's the only way yeah. we get around yeah we don't really use cars that much we just kind of have polar <laughs> they're bears. fast they're pretty fast yeah like like if like you've ever bullet fast <laughs> yep a little bit faster than the moose yeah the, like moose are a little bit slow because they're clunky yeah. and they like are more and heavy the ride isn't as smooth you know yeah okay all right um anyways let's move okay on. i do agree that like this point this is like midway through the movie this is where the mm-hmm. stakes get hella high yeah, it's a big shift, but it's done subtly and it's done with a lot of care. And I also think that because of all of the little um, lore and uh, stuff that's sprinkled out, like very subtly throughout the first part of the movie, mm-hmm. it just really sets up the foundation for this mystery. So that yeah. it's a good plot twist because it you can you can understand it and it makes sense, mm-hmm. but it's also something that like. You know, you weren't expecting. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So before we move on to act three, I just want to bring our attention to another extraordinary cinematic sequence in this movie. And basically it's when um, Taki kind of like leaves his friends behind and he gets Mm -hmm. the idea to... First of all, the fact that he just ditches his (laughs) friends that... That was out of the way for him. Honestly. And he's just like, I'm a bounce. Hashtag, I'm the pro tag. But he ditches his friends and he decides yeah. to visit the shrine that he visited while in Mitsuha's body. And mm-hmm. he gets there and enters the underworld. Um, yeah. And he's, he's in the cave. He drinks her spit. And then. Love that. <laughs> that's like really romantic. Oh my God. It's just First so date. Let's just spit. And then drink each other's spit. Um, (laughs) That's what happens. He gets there and then he slips and he falls. And he looks up and sees like this drawing (laughs) of a comet, which instigates this and this beautiful montage. Like the main theme of the entire sequence is like how everything is just connected. So you see how the tail of the the picture of the comet is elongated to show this string and it's very much how they liken time to being a string and how the comet Mm -hmm. is a string across the sky how there's the red string of fate it's very breathtaking yeah this is a very beautiful sequence there's also i mean obviously if you've seen the movie and i'm assuming you have (laughs) if you're listening to us talk about it um there's an animation style shift in this mm-hmm. um, specific sequence, which is great. And like you said, it's just a great visualization of the core theme in the film of the centrality, I guess, and um, oneness of humanity mm-hmm. and uh, nature transcending time and space. And I think that this is um, the most 
uh, overt visualization that we get in the film of um, blurring the lines of time. Yeah. It's dramatized in this really, um, just really beautifully animated scene with Taki literally um, diving into Mm -hmm. Mitsuha's thoughts. Because I think time travel is such a difficult thing to do. (laughs) Like if you're committing to time travel in your story, you have to commit so hard. And so just to be able to write time travel like subtly like this <laughs> is honestly a feat within itself. Or another thing that I think Shinkai does really well is just the like how he skills things. And what I mean by that mm. is sometimes you can feel really, really small, but sometimes you yeah. can feel really, really big and very uh, and and very significant and I think that yeah. he does both in this film because just like yes. bringing it yeah. all the way back to what we were saying before about the destruction mm-hmm. of and beauty of nature I think that yeah. when someone comes before nature especially like before natural disasters and stuff like that yeah like it is very humbling and when you look up at the sky you feel very humbled because you're reminded of just something greater out there but then this sequence is really a moment where you can just appreciate humanity there's this basically there's this like scene within the sequence where you see cells dividing and basically the cells are supposed to represent Mitsuha and how um, you know in accordance to the red string of fate kind of concept how even from the moment that her cells began to divide she was already destined for like greater things these Mm -hmm. are like important perspectives to to adopt you know throughout your life like you said there's this idea of fate that's very um central to this sequence in particular but also throughout the film of yeah being destined um for something or for someone um and i really like that the film carries that theme throughout the movie of like destiny and fate Mm -hmm. and um, the universe having a greater purpose um, for you and that the universe will be there for you um, to guide you wherever you need to be, even though you're just a small human in Mm -hmm. this vast, vast world. But at the same time, um, it's still on us and on our own actions to to seek those adventures out um and i think like that's really evident in the film because like it's it's really on us to not afraid to not be afraid to put ourselves out there to be vulnerable to chase the things that we want in life Mm -hmm. so that transitions us into act three now which is when immediately afterwards the body switching starts again and Mm -hmm. kind of all of the action that leads up to the climax of this movie which takes place at the crater I've talked a little bit about like dreams and nostalgia in another episode, but I really, mm-hmm. I really like, I kind of want to talk about it again in this one because I think that your name mm-hmm. just profits so much off of the nature, the idea of the nature of dreams. You can like, it's so vivid and clear to you when you first experience yeah. it, but then as soon as you mm-hmm. wake up, you kind of forget all about it. And I yeah. personally kind of liken that to growing up in general. I have very distinct memories of when I was a kid and I would say things to myself like, oh, adults are so boring. I'm never going to become like boring or Mm -hmm. um, hopeless like an adult. Like I literally told myself this Mm -hmm. as a kid. And then I have very also very distinct memories of me as a teenager being like life right now as a teen is so great like I'm never gonna forget what it's like (laughs) to be a teenager these are the moments that I live for but now (laughs) 
Like, Listen, I'm already forgetting what it feels like. <laughs> so it's kind of like crazy that you can yeah. um, feel so strongly about certain things and like think a certain way. And then the more you the more years pass and the more you grow up, you can just kind of like forget about that completely. So I don't think yeah. that feeling is restricted to just dreams. I do think that feeling is applicable to like growing up and memories yeah. as well, right? I want to talk about the flashback scene that we get of Mitsuha going to Tokyo. Oh, yeah. The storytelling that's a little bit nonlinear here, Taki learns that at some point during their body switching, Mitsuha had gone to Tokyo to try to find him. But because their timelines are off, Mitsuha, when she goes to Tokyo in her timeline to visit Taki, Taki doesn't know her yet because Taki hasn't met her yet. First of all, I like nonlinear storytelling, but it's very easy to do it poorly. This is a really great use of nonlinear storytelling because I think every time you, you, you know, you do it, you have to sort of justify to the audience, why are you showing me this now? Like it has yeah. to add impact to the story now. Mm -hmm. And I think that this scene of them encountering each other on the train is technically the first time that we're actually seeing them together yeah. on screen for the first time in the movie except for the opening shot mm -hmm. and i think that it adds so much tension now because you know as as mitsuha is getting all nervous looking for him <laughs> um us as an audience we have this like dreaded feeling in our stomach because we know that Taki is not going to recognize her. Yeah. And it's like, we know that Mitsuha, she is about to get her, sweetie. <laughs> and you just kind of, it really like gives you that gut punch. Because Taki is realizing this now in retrospect, right? That, you know, that girl that he had seen, he um, he doesn't remember her or like he didn't know her back then. The and time. he feels a lot of regret in the moment yeah. now. And I think that it really hammers in the idea of not knowing how much something means to you until it's too late. Uh -huh. And I think that that happens very much in real life too, where um, sometimes similar to what you were saying about nostalgia, we look back on something and we're like, man, I didn't really appreciate that in the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about that scene on the crater. That scene. So they both get to the crater on top of, the hill i think there's this moment of quiet at the most tense point in the film that is just it's just really great use of um sound and i guess of cinematography too mm -hmm. and i really like the depiction of them being in the same place at the same time but at different <laughs> points in time like the surrealism yeah. is really jumping out here yeah. and it's so it's so uh, like I'm, it's so beautiful and satisfying. Mm -hmm. And I think that just the the imagery of it hitting Twilight and then they sort of see each other for this, this very short amount of time. Like they literally have seconds or minutes or whatever to see mm -hmm. each other and then it'll be over. I also really like the the piano version of the opening song is playing in the background as they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. The opening song is usually very upbeat, but I think the idea of the piano version playing in this scene mm. um, at the climax also feels very um, cathartic, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then the suddenness of this moment ending. Yeah. Kind of like... It, they literally With just the they're, right, they're about to write each other's names and the marker just drops um and it's kind of like that <laughs> <laughs> that idea of like 
that unfinished thought is very representative of what I think um, love and navigating relationships feels like mm-hmm. in real life, where um, there are so many things that like we just feel like we didn't say in the moment that we didn't get to say when we had the chance. Mm-hmm. This is definitely the climax of the film. They really like Shinkai really tries to strip away everything else until it is just the bare bones of like the main message that he wants to get yes. across and it's like yeah hi we're at the climax let's strip away <laughs> any any like unnecessary sound any unnecessary yeah. music and let's just be here the two of us at twilight which mm-hmm. has been a recurring motif and let's just talk like it's it's very yeah. much just if you were to get nothing out of this get this that yeah this scene. exactly yeah. like that um life is beautiful that love is magic that yeah um that hope and optimism optimism can prevail even in the most impossible of circumstances even when you guys yeah. are in two different timelines you will meet and find each other mm-hmm. through all the chaos and through all of the struggles and hardships that there will be like quiet moments yes um, and yeah. that's why i think this climax works in a way that is very different from yeah. Other more dramatic and more showy climax uh, moments. Right. You know? <laughs> also, the main song of this film, Sparkle, mm. um, it, it starts, I really like the use of it in the film. And I think that Sparkle as a choice for the climax is interesting because it's it's a it's not a very like upbeat song. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it sort of marks again like a, a turning point in the film um, and sort of creates that tone of feeling very um, bittersweet and hopeful, even though the action that we're seeing on the screen is literally Mitsuha <laughs> running through the town, yeah. trying to shepherd her whole town out of mm-hmm. the, um, you know, to evacuate them. And like, there's a lot of things happening and it's, it's technically like, it's an action packed scene, mm-hmm. but the music creates this undercurrent of, um, optimism and Mm -hmm. hopefulness this whole film in general is like very much there's action in it but you don't yeah there is you don't yeah it's not what you take away from the film yeah but it's not like the whole thing is devoid of action there's actually a lot going on but it's there's a lot going on there's a comet there's a town that dies there's touring travel (laughs) yeah there's a lot of things like when you step back you realize there's it's a lot of stuff but that's not what you take from the movie yeah. when you leave it which is like <laughs> yeah nice let's move on excuse me okay oh i wanted to ah. i don't know if you had anything to say about the scene where mitsuha looks at her hand and realized taki has not written her his name on her hand <laughs> i did have a note about it okay yes sorry go ahead so to me this scene is the equivalent <laughs> of a grand romantic gesture you know how every romance movie has that grand romantic gesture yeah, 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 yeah. where it's just the guy shows up to wherever mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. you know it's him throwing rocks at the window mm-hmm, or it's mm-hmm. him starting a flash mob you know how it goes <laughs> there's always some ridiculous running display through the airport Don't leave. running through the airport very very common mm-hmm, example mm-hmm. and it's usually always very grandiose it's usually very like public and in this film I like that there is still, it feels like a grand romantic gesture, but it's not this ostentatious. <laughs> He's not even there. <laughs> 
he's not even there. No one is there. It's literally just Mitsuha. Um, she looks at her hand and realizes that he has written I love you on her hand instead of his name. Like, I think you can look at this scene and be like, that's so dumb. <laughs> you can be like, Taki, why don't you just write your damn name so she can find you on Facebook later? <laughs> but I think what I loved about it was that I think that it shows that this movie, um, it really strives to be a romance film. Like, it's not it's not straying away from its tone. And um, mm -hmm. it's very in line with um, their, their characters and just them being teenagers and just having their their feelings, I guess, overtake logic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this just this scene gets me every single time. I know it's one of the most melodramatic scenes in the film, but it is probably one of my Fun favorites. Fun fact, Chris has a tattoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of Misa's hand yeah. with the message right on it. I do have a tattoo of this scene on my arm. I do. It is Mitsuha's hand. I Taki's think that if I were brain. to get a your name tattoo, it would be the yeah. same one. So good choice. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that makes me feel so happy. This is me validating you. I would get the I same one. I feel so validated right now. Maybe because when I was, <laughs> maybe if I were to get one though, just to make it a little a little different, it'd be of Taki's yeah. hand, but with like the one line. <laughs> just the line. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of artsy. I'm kind of into that. You should get that. We should get matching tattoos. Okay. That brings us to act four, which is saving the town of Itamori and then also the ending um, mm -hmm. after like there's kind of a time skip of and us catching up with the characters. So there's the scene of the comet hitting the earth. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. This yes. is probably my favorite scene, actually, mm. because mm -hmm. it's just complete silence but there's mm -hmm. so much going on visually on the screen and yeah. it once again it reminds you of that everything can happen so fast that mm. when it comes to like nature and when it comes to how we we can be so helpless in front of like natural disasters and just the yeah. the, the power of uh, of the natural world that the sound doesn't even hit you but everything is gone already. Mm. And once yeah. you hear the crash, yeah. it's like nobody's there anymore, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. All of the buildings are wiped away in a second. And that is such a fitting thing to have come after the climax. Because in the, in the climax, yeah. it's like this like moment of contemplation and this moment of quiet. And mm -hmm. then it's followed up by this like huge rush to like save everybody mm -hmm. in the town. It's this this big panic and this big scurrying of everybody like just leaving and evacuating to the high school. And then I feel like as you go throughout the movie, there's this feeling of almost like fighting against nature and wanting that mm. disaster to not come. And I think that right. in, in an ideal world, it's the feeling where it's like, oh, the, the happy ending comes when we are able to... Um, to avert that situation and avert that terrible disaster. But mm -hmm. you remind it, you're reminded that you can't do that with nature. You can't just will yeah. a natural disaster to not, not happen. You kind of just have mm -hmm. to survive it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's such a great, it's such a great scene. And I think that you can really tell how much uh, Shinkai like really put into this film in terms of um, portraying natural disasters what I just really what I love about the depictions of like the comet and the destruction and everything is that um it's 
it's really beautiful, <laughs> but it's also very like we are always at the mercy of nature. So we approach, like we arrive at a five-year time skip, I believe. I think that it's very appropriate for Taki to be. I don't know if he was like an architect or something. Um, I think it's something like that. Yeah, architecture or engineering or something. Yeah. yeah, I think it's very appropriate that he says this line. And it's all about how he wants to make landscapes that can last in people's memories and warm mm. people's hearts. Mm -hmm. And then I was yeah. watching the ending and I realized that this is kind of the essence of what Shinkai was trying to do and also achieved mm. with this movie. Because yeah. I do think that there is a certain quote unquote landscape to a movie or really like any sort of media or writing or literature mm -hmm. or anything like that or creation um mm -hmm. in that you know there's stuff happening in the foreground in the midground and in the background yeah. to mm. any story as well right and yeah. Yeah. the whole idea is like um especially from an architect's point of view is that you're trying to make these landscapes that will last in people's memories. Right. And that's kind of exactly what Shinkai did with this movie. Like, as I said before, mm -hmm. he took this movie that was so filled with action and drama and romance. This movie was just this creation of a landscape that evokes particular feelings in viewers. And that's, I think, what makes it a masterpiece, in my eyes, at least. Yeah, that's sort of the quest of all writers, you know? Mm -hmm. um, is to create things that people will remember mm -hmm. and things that at least one person can connect with. I really, really love that there is a time skip, first of all, um, and that we get to see Taki in this like post-uni job grind, hashtag relatable. Mm. Um, I think it's very fitting for this story to um, move forward or to flash forward to adulthood. Um, right. Because I think that it offers this contrast um, and it kind of represents this feeling that uh, adults tend to be uh, less naive and further away from their dreams. They <laughs> they tend to be less um, like, you know, as you grow up, you, there's this uh, this prevailing notion that adults will move away from these fantastical thoughts and yeah. move away from imagination. As adults, it's we should be able to channel our emotions, to channel our imagination, and um, and to not be distracted by the mundane like grind of life. Um, to you know, find excuses to our feelings, and also like I just love. I just love happy endings. Like, I'm so glad <laughs> we ended yes. with them um, reuniting. And mm, yeah, thank you. I'm really glad that Shinkai decided to give closure to this story. To leave it open-ended would have kind of betrayed the yes. tone of the story. And I know that he is the kind of person who would totally leave his stories <laughs> open-ended. But I think that giving it closure, but not like overt closure, yeah. is very still, it's still very true to his style. But it leaves the film on this tone of hopefulness. And I think that there's definitely, I feel like there's definitely symbolism here with this end scene taking place like during spring with mm -hmm. like new beginnings. And I really like that they find each other again as adults because I think that says something about, um, about how even when we feel like it's too late in our lives to be experiencing things. Yeah. It's always it's always possible if we believe and if we want to and if we don't give up exactly. hope. Also, the very, very, very end scene 
where they are both on the trains and then they see each other. <laughs> and then they get off the trains and they're and they're frantically trying to look for each other again. And then they reach the staircase and they're like and they dead cool. ass they dead ass try to pass each other again. And at this point we've seen that they've already passed you did each this other and they for what? <laughs> you did this for what? Taki Mitsuha, you jumped off that train and for what? And I think yeah. And I think it's so it's such an interesting detail to me that they would go through all of that only to pass each other again. Mm -hmm. And I think that that just shows like, man, people are so (laughs) afraid to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. People are so afraid to take chances. It takes the time to like slow down and linger in that moment of like, if we don't take chances, we'll always, we'll always be searching for that feeling. We'll always be aimlessly hoping will always be chasing the vibe mm-hmm. with no goal. And eventually you just got to like suck it up and, and say hi to the girl, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's just a beautiful ending. And this is not us being like, people need to be more vulnerable. Like I would say that I like oh, would do the same me. thing. This is at me. <laughs> this is self-talk. I am currently, I'm literally subtweeting myself. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Did we do it? Did we talk about... Did we just talk about the writing in Kimi no Nawa? Did we do that? Okay, so our next segment is called the Bechdel Test. And this is a test that we do every episode. It was devised by a cartoonist named Alison Bechdel. And she basically... Um, wrote out these three questions to use as a measure of female representation in any given piece of media. So the three questions are, are there at least two two named female characters? Do they speak to each other? And do they speak to each other about something other than a male love interest? So. Okay. So there's definitely two named ones. Do they speak Mm -hmm. to each other? Okay. When she's like in Taki's body, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that counts. Does that count? To you? That counts. To me, it counts. <laughs> that <laughs> counts. Um, yeah. And do they speak about something other than a male love interest? Well, they like talk enough to have asked each other out on a date. So. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I do think it passes. <laughs> I do think it passes. Mm-hmm. I do think it passes. Yeah. Like, I didn't even really think about whether this film would pass the Bechdel test because the, the, its female characters are so well fleshed out and realistic. Yeah. So just to talk about Okudera Senpai first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yesterday, Emily and I found out that Okudera Senpai <laughs> in the in the first timeline before before the time skip is 24, 23? Yeah. <laughs> and Taki and Mitsuha are 17, 17. y'all. That was a that was a shock because I assumed that Okudera Senpai was like nineteen, mm-hmm. maybe twenty, and the fact that she's twenty four made me go, huh? Um, it's just she went out on a date with a seventeen year old high school. She goes out on a date with a seventeen year old. The reason that it's I'm going to decide right now that it's not going to bother me as much is because I think there is an implication that Okudera Senpai wasn't very like it's not like she was actually serious about yeah anything like she really did treat Taki like a little brother. So that's fine. I I really like Okudera Senpai. I think that her presence in the film feels very strong and fleshed out, mm-hmm. especially because having an 
older, wiser character to kind of offer wisdom yeah. to the characters and to the audience. Um, it feels very purposeful. She's I agree. like very much she feels very much like a a big sister. One of the scenes that sticks out to the most to me for Okudera is when they are at like the hostel and then she's like downstairs with Tsukasa and the two of them are like just conversing and mm-hmm. she's like smoking um yeah. which comes across as surprising actually because she's very much set up to be this character who is girly and like also the object of everyone's affections and so you see that she has this like habit that's often seen as a negative habit that people yeah and she even says like i'm trying to quit Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah so um in that moment you kind of see oh like this isn't just a one-dimensional or two-dimensional character i think that you can get caught up a lot with the as we said before like the naivete of the film and the mm-hmm. coming of age aspect and then you have mm-hmm. this character who is being very real with herself and she's a little bit yeah. older she brings mm-hmm. this kind of mm-hmm. like maturity to the screen that the other characters yeah. around her just don't really have yet and yeah. she's like cute and and oh my gosh, like she's so she dresses nice and she's really pretty <laughs> So the other character, main female character, is best girl Mitsuha. Miss Mitsuha. So I love Mitsuha. She's very much like the girl next door, I think, yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. But also mm-hmm. she's like, she's vague enough, actually, that mm-hmm. I think most pe- most female viewers can relate to her. There's enough room for interpretation with her where it's like any anybody not anybody but like a lot of people can put themselves in Mm -hmm. her shoes and thus feel like they're closer to her or feel like they're going on this adventure with her i don't think that she is a very unique character but i think that's okay Mm -hmm. and that kind of makes me like her Mm -hmm. even more i agree like i think that you know especially if you've like listened to our previous episodes we talk a lot about like complex character writing and yeah. like we need layers and exactly. you know they have to be like dynamic and like morally gray or whatever. Morally gray. But I, I de- <laughs> yeah yeah um but I do think that there is a lot of value especially for a film like this in just having a character where um there's enough there that she feels like a real person mm-hmm. but also like you said there's room for people to really see themselves in her so yeah she is best girl yeah like not everybody can relate to being a waterbender that is (laughs) shut up i'm just kidding oh Um, my god (laughs) yes yeah shall we proceed are you guys ready okay are folks ready for this dumpster fire like guys like i don't know if you've noticed but we lit the fire at the start of this episode oh wait we should explain what dumpster fire is. oh yeah, yeah yeah so dumpster fire is a segment at the end of every episode mm-hmm. yeah where, where we can just talk <laughs> about whatever we want to talk about yep i'm gonna start dumpster fire with literally the most irrelevant point ever However, it is relevant to me. Yeah. And this is, I am part of this podcast, so I'm going to bring it up. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
I'm like scared. Like, why did no, she don't set be scared, herself don't be scared. up like It literally that? has, it has nothing to do with you. This is not going to affect you okay. in any way, but okay. it affects me. Okay. So therefore it affects you. Okay. <laughs> um, so Taki's dad, who has, I think, one line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, d- why didn't you make breakfast? That's the line. <laughs> literally um, has in case one anyone line. was wondering, I can, I can quote the movie. Yeah, she's watched it eight times. Yeah. Um, the way that Taki's dad has literally a single line, <laughs> and I had to pause the movie and go, oh my God, because that voice <laughs> is Wait. Kakashi Sem- Sensei from Naruto. I didn't Shut make that up. up. Yeah, for the Japanese. The Japanese. Taki's dad's VA is Kakashi Sensei um, from Naruto. You know what? He's an what icon. We were talking about how like there are characters that are really relatable. I personally mm. can't relate to having Kakashi be my dad. But uh... <laughs> And that's why Taki is not best boy. Because <laughs> his dad is Kakashi Sensei. And I just That's can't... so relatable. I recognize that right away. Like, it was honestly comically fast. Like, I'm a little ashamed. <laughs> you know Taki's two friends? The other friend's n- friend is voiced by... <laughs> is Tobio Kageyama. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that? Wait, hello, Kristen? <laughs> hello? <laughs> Did you know that? Can we not? Um, so I personally can't relate <clears throat> to being best friends with Kageyama and also the son of Kakashi. Personally, I don't know about you. Personally, that is just so unrelatable. The way that you just dropped that bomb on me, like he's my I favorite. I think bomb. he's my new favorite voice actor. Our favorite voice actor used to be um, Bakugo's VA. Yes, no um, but now it's Kaito Ishiwaka. Mm. You're doing mm. great, Kaito. Thank you for all You're of your doing service. You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing oh, great. Boy. Yeah. When we started the podcast, I was very open to doing like other shows and series. But in the back of my mind, oh my god. I always knew <laughs> That I wanted to start this podcast just so we could talk about your name. So now so, that we've done it. <laughs> honestly, we don't, this might be our last episode, retire. guys. Yeah, it's been a good run. Um, thank you for everyone. Thank you for making it this, <laughs> this long journey of three months that we have been running this pod. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's, okay, let's, let's talk about Radwimps. Yeah. Um, they have written the OST for this film. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Radwimp's ex Shinkai is a my match made ship. in heaven. It's my favorite <laughs> ship. It's the greatest thing that 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 media has ever given us. I think honestly that Radwimp's and their sound, it. <laughs> I feel like this their sound is so integral to this movie uh-huh. and to Shinkai's stories. The way that they're able to capture the emotion of shinkai's stories Mm -hmm. and themes and distill it into a sound is so beautiful and so powerful and i don't know i almost feel like my love for this film is so um tightly Mm. entwined with my love for the soundtrack like it's it's almost like you can't have one without the other their sound is very emotional and um i think that when you think emotional you think of stuff like Mitsuha's theme like soft piano mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. um 
very like melancholy melodies and stuff but radwimps very much yeah. is distinctly rock i would say like soft rock mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's very counterintuitive that that soft rock could portray such a dynamic range of emotions and so strongly mm. at that too. Mm-hmm. And I think that the best way for me at least to describe Radwimp's music is nostalgic. That almost mm-hmm. give off this like quote unquote twinkling sensation. Yes. That yeah. enc- like um, encapsulates like a lot of the nostalgic moments or the Mm -hmm. feelings that are portrayed in a lot of Shinkai works is Mm -hmm. just exactly the type of feeling and emotion that the film wants to portray as well. So it's very much like the film and the music have the same goal in mind. They're so intertwined Mm -hmm. in that way that it just works perfectly together. And they, in fact, amplify each other's purpose and goal. It definitely has that that feeling of um, reflect reflection and um yearning mm-hmm. um you but yearning and longing for something happy like happy memories another thing that i wanted to bring up in dumpster fire okay sometimes people liken your name with a silent voice now oh, okay. I, I won't i won't um <clears throat> go into like spoilers for a silent voice or anything just yet i'm sure yeah. we'll do that episode eventually unless we retire Mm -hmm. right after this episode (laughs) which is completely plausible so i'm gonna just put this out there and say that i definitely think your name is better because of the like fantastical aspect i just think that silent voice does a lot of things well but they um it's very much like one story that hinges a lot on the um emotional like depth of sometimes like Mm. mental illness and like grief and um, uh, physical impairment. Um, But Mm -hmm. I've heard people kind of like look down on your name because of the quote unquote realism that is lacking between Taki and Mitsuha's Mm. relationship. Because I think that it can be argued, oh, but like all they did was switch bodies and like they never, (laughs) you know, have a sit down conversation. But I think that's beside the point, actually. Of the movie. I agree. And I, I do think that the two of them share this innate connection that is supposed to be hinged on magic and on this like impossible connections. Mm-hmm. So it's supposed to throw realism out the window entirely. And on top of that, I think that the relationship is supposed to focus on that childlike naivete of romance, which like mm-hmm. we've been bringing up that word like naivety the whole yeah. episode. Um, yeah. I like that they overplay it and I like how that they treat it as something that is precious and and not up for a more realistic interpretation. To me, Your Name is the story that I uh, connected to the most. It's Mm -hmm. the story that I, um, yeah, there's just something about it that is particularly resonant for me. But it doesn't mean that A Silent Voice is like a bad movie. Like it's a very good movie. It's a great movie. It's great. And I love it a lot, actually. So I would almost say, like, you can't objectively say that one is better than the other. Because mm-hmm. I think that they are fundamentally different stories. Mm. The themes that are at the core of both of those movies are just so different that, like you said, I don't think that you can even um, compare the two against each other. Mm-hmm. I do see why some people would not connect with with your name. Um, I do think that like it's because it's m- more rooted in uh, magical realism and sort of these fantastical elements, you there is this 
um, suspension of disbelief that needs to happen yeah. in order to enjoy Kimi no Nawa. I just thought of this now. You know, another uh, comparison that people often make is between Shinkai and Ghibli films. Interesting. Actually, no, I totally see that. Just imagine like looking up to something your whole life, like Shinkai did with Ghibli mm, films. That's and true. Yeah. It. <gasps> oh that's my. crazy. I wouldn't know how to act. <laughs> Should we quickly talk about why do you think Kimi no Nawa was so commercially mm. successful because yeah. we can talk about like why it was critically acclaimed we just talked about that mm-hmm. but why do you think it was so commercially successful to the point where global audiences were noticing it it became the most you know best yeah. grossing anime film of all time i think it's the style of and like the animation and the style of art because i would argue that though western modern animation looks very sleek and it looks great like honestly it looks amazing but it doesn't portray that realism of real everyday life um instead it go it goes for a more cartoonish style which is still like very high Mm. quality um but Mm. it's a different like approach to animation and so Mm. i think that people were very maybe were very intrigued by that and then they watched the whole thing and realized that like oh like i got way more out out of that than i expected i got like the whole package you know and i i also think just like it could just also be the timing of certain movies like in terms of what makes a blockbuster a blockbuster it could also Mm. be like what's the current um climate for right for coming of age stories or for media that's or true. for anime at any given time so there's a lot of factors to that that's true i would i would say like now that we're on the topic of like what do young people in today's climate exactly resonate yeah. with right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like living in a rural town and wanting more living in a in a city and not being happy where you are just wanting more out of life <laughs> yeah I guess that brings us to the end of Dubster Fire. Wow. And now we will do our ratings. Yes, ma'am. So I guess I'll go first for our ratings. Are it's, you ready? It's a stretch. <laughs> we love that. Yeah. So obviously it's a five out of five for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Markers. So here's why I choose markers. Oh my God, that's so good. So not only <laughs> does the marker play a very essential role in the movie um, especially Mm -hmm. when they're like writing stuff on each other's hands but I like how the marker came up like earlier in the movie when they're like writing on each other's arm (gasps) that's true Um, it it did come up early (laughs) and one of my favorite lines that uh, I can remember is like when they're asking each other like why don't you have a girlfriend why don't you have a boyfriend Um, and they're both like I'm single because I want to (laughs) be oh wow but you That's both know that like, they don't want to be. <laughs> yeah. Low key. <laughs> I'm going to rate it um, five out of five. Okudera Senpai skirts. Mm. Ripped or? Ripped, <laughs> ripped skirts, but with Mitsuha stitching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do I even have to explain? Um, nah. I think one of my favorite scenes is definitely like when Okudera Senpai is just like taking all this flack from a very rude customer and then Mitsuha asked Taki 
um, stitches to their skirt for him, uh, for her. And Okada Senpai's like, oh my god, he needs oh my a god. stitch. <laughs> and it's like, That's absolutely not. Like, the, <laughs> you think a teenage boy knows how to, yeah. So, and I also just like how it just shows like how willing Mitsuha is to like help out another girl. And then five out of five because guys, come on. Oh, There's man. nothing for me to say. Yeah. Have we said a single it's... bad thing? We probably should think of we one. Didn't even, um... We didn't even think of critiquing. Because like... Cause... Oh my god. We don't have anything. We don't have a single critique. Like, it's not a perfect story. You know? Like... No, it's there not. There are... Yeah. I'm sure there are plot holes and things that don't yes. perfectly align and connect. Mm-hmm. Again, like I said, I... I we can treat this as a critique for the sake of the pod but um you do need to have some suspension of disbelief and if you're the type to just like be like but what's realistic Mm -hmm. then you know maybe it's just not the story for you and that's totally fine (laughs) like it's totally fine but um i think for what it set out to do Mm -hmm. it did really really well i agree so i love makoto shinkai and i literally i just I can't wait to see what he does next. I like weathering with you a lot, but I can't mm. wait to see what he does next. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it might yeah. be a complete failure, but that's just the nature that's of That's totally fine if he wants to, like... things. Yeah, exactly. If he wants like, if to, he like, wants experiment. To completely left field. He wants to do a horror. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. To... I was actually talking with my brother about this, and it would be interesting to see him do a film that doesn't have any romance in it. Or romance that's not at the center mm. of the story. I would be very interested to see a Shinkai film about Interesting. that. Interesting. Right. Oh, but he does romance so well. He does. I guess he that's does. The point. Yeah. Okay, so that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we know it wasn't easy. Sorry, I forgot my tagline for a second. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. But yes. Thank you for making it this far. Please find us wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be on Spotify, Apple, Google, YouTube. Um, Also, follow us on Twitter at Into the Workshop. We'll see you guys next time for our next episode, (laughs) which is going to be interesting. Bye. Bye. See ya.